turn their mics off that'd be great thank you so does anyone have any clarifications from last class or the class before if so then we can just quickly address them now before we begin today's class because we didn't have the class on wednesday so anything Damesh? You okay? Okay, great. So today's class 41 of this book. Couldn't believe what the is class 41. In this chapter, chapter 11, the states of consciousness, we have been discussing the three states of conditioned consciousness that all human beings go through. What are the three states of consciousness? What's the three states of consciousness? Waker, dreamer, deep sleep. And in the last class, we talked about the fourth state, the state of pure consciousness, unconditioned consciousness, the state of self-realization. The goal of all human beings. Um, Bella, I think uh, mum's uh, mic is on. The state of unconditioned consciousness, the state of self-realization, which is the goal of all human beings. Why? Because this is our true personality, our real nature. This is what they, these great souls have said. And the mission in life is to pursue that goal until we reach that state. And when we fulfill that mission, we become one with the totality. Just like a river becomes one with the ocean. How do we get to the fourth state? By removing the conditioning. We said right now we're going through conditioned states of consciousness. So to get to the pure state of consciousness, we have to remove Conditioning. How do you remove that conditioning? Anyone? How do you remove the conditioning? Through knowledge. Through knowledge. Knowledge of? Identifying how to get to that state. Knowledge of the self. So we have to remove our ignorance, the conditioning with the knowledge of the self, which is what we're doing in these classes. Is that all clear? 
Great. So we start today um, with the topic, the assurance of Vedanta, which confirms that this knowledge will do, do that. This knowledge will remove that conditioning. It will give you the knowledge of the self. In fact, it will take you right to the goal. And this is what this is going to confirm now. So, assurance of Vedanta. Ravi, is it yourself? Yeah, thanks. Assurance of Vedanta. Vedanta assures the self is within the reach of every human being. That you can gain the fourth state of absolute peace and bliss. Attain it by merging with the self. That is your mission in life. If you do not achieve it, your life is spent in vain. You suffer the greatest loss. None seems to realize this, nor even aware of the purpose of human existence. The trend everywhere is to crave for material possession and sensual enjoyment. People are enchanted by the attractions of the external world and live a superficial life with no concern for the underlying reality within them. They are lost in the waking, dream, and deep sleep states of consciousness, and totally involved in the temporal existence of these states. Ignorant and indifferent towards their absolute state of divine self. But those who seek the self within enjoy peace and bliss progressively. Pursuing the spiritual path, they finally attain the absolute bliss of enlightenment. Thank you. So he's saying that most people are lost in the world. They do not know their purpose, their mission in life. They're happy, they're happy to just go through the three states of consciousness, waking, dream, and deep sleep, in total ignorance of their true purpose. Has anyone asked, what is my role in life? What do I do as a human being? Surely there must be a purpose. I'm inferior, I'm superior to all the other animals. What role should I be playing? Why am I superior? See, nobody asks this question because we're totally involved in the world, in the free states of consciousness. Something like this knowledge pricks that consciousness, thinking, that ability to think, what is my purpose? So if we don't ask that question, we're wasting our lives living a superficial life. But, says, if you put a little effort, and you follow this path as laid out in our scriptures, then eventually we'll get to the goal. Your true purpose as a human being. See, while we're in these three states of consciousness, if we were happy, content, it's a different thing, but we're not. This is the problem. It's because we're not happy and content, we're looking for something else.
So the assurance is, the assurance of this subject, which is the topic, is that when you pursue the self, you walk, walk, follow this path, you begin to enjoy peace and bliss gradually. This is the assurance. Until you reach, finally reach your goal and merge with the self. And then the total, and the result when you, when you get to that goal is total bliss of enlightenment. So you may, you may say to me, it's all well and good you're talking about peace and happiness, but how do I know that this is true? That I will experience this? How, do, how would you know? See, it's all well and good, you're joining us every Sunday morning, we're talking and sub, talking about this subject, but how would you know that this is the right path? Any idea? Yeah, Nilam? Is it just um, that you gradually start noticing that your experience of life is changing and you're less, you know, you, you still have agitations, but not as many as you did before. So it's like a gradual change. Yeah, so absolutely. And lack of agitation results in? Peace. Peace, there you go. So therefore, you know, that this subject, this subject of Vedanta works. You know you're on the right path because as you progress on the spiritual path of the knowledge of the self, self-discovery, you go through four stages of happiness. You can judge how far you're going on the path as well, which stage you're at. Four stages of happiness you'll feel as you go on this path. Four stages. You may say I'm already happy. Well, you you get more happiness. First stage. They say inhabiting the same location as the object of pursuit. We will talk in more detail. Second stage, getting nearer, approaching the object. Third stage, seeing the form of the object. And fourth stage, merging with the object of pursuit. Relating to the proximity of the goal a seeker pursues, he experiences four progressive stages of happiness. So there's an example. Ravi, can you read the next paragraph? A common experience. Common experience in life illustrates this progressive joy. A couple in Pune awaits the arrival of their son after long years of study in a foreign country. They hear that his plane has landed in Mumbai, more than a hundred kilometers away. Yet the news of his arrival in the country, in the same location as theirs, gives them the first taste of joy. That is Solokium. An hour later, they hear that he is driving down in a car to Pune. The fact that he is coming nearer, approaching them, provides greater joy. Samibium. The car reaches their home and they see him from the balcony. 
the sight of their son excites them furthermore, Serupium. Then they rush down for the final embrace, the culmination of their joy, Sayumium. So he's giving an example, four levels of joy. Did everyone understand those, that example? Dipa, your daughter is in Preston. For how many years you haven't seen her? Studying dentistry. You're missing her. Same thing it's saying here. No FaceTime in those days, yeah? No WhatsApp video calls. You haven't seen, you know, you've spoken on the phone, but you haven't seen your daughter. So it's saying she's coming home. First stage is she's landed at the airport. She's in London. You feel a sense of happiness. Then she's driving home. She says, I'm getting going and taking a taxi home. Second stage, you're eager to see her, waiting for her, cooked her favorite food. Third stage, you look out the window, the cars, the taxis parked outside. She's leaving the car to come in. Third stage of happiness. Fourth stage, you give her a hug. You're one with your daughter. Fourth stage of happiness. This is what it's saying. This is what happens on the spiritual path. So it's given this example because we can identify with this example. So how does this translate into the spiritual path? Does everyone understand the example, by the way? Yeah? yeah. Everyone agree? All the parents? Good. So how does this translate into, in a spiritual way? Ravi. A spiritual seeker goes through a similar experience in his pursuit of the self. He too passes through these four stages of happiness. Shifting his focus from the external world to the self within gives him the initial happiness. Withdrawing from the affairs of the world and locating himself in the realm of the self. Occupying the same realm is the joy of Solokium. And by pursuing sorry, and by pursuing the self, getting closer to the self, he experienced greater peace and happiness, which is some samipium. Further, with sustained spiritual experience, he gains a glimpse of the brilliance and bliss of the self. Though the self is not an object of perception, he sees its radiance in all his experiences of life, feels a deeper contentment and happiness. That is sarupium. Finally, with determined and concerted effort, his individual self merges with the Supreme Self. He gains Sayubhim, the absolute bliss of spiritual enlightenment. So, in the spiritual path, this is the four ways that you gain happiness. The first stage, Salokyam, Sanskrit word. Shifting your mind from the world to the self within. 
extrovert to introvert. Thinking of the self. Being aware of the self. You get some sense of calm and peace and happiness. This is the first stage. See, when we started this subject, and when some of you joined me every Sunday to discuss the spirit, Atman, self, I'm sure after a few classes, there is some feeling of calm, some feeling of peace. A few people told me that after a class for a few days, they felt good about themselves. Give them a good feeling. So just the thought of the self within brings some joy, even for a few days. See, if it didn't, you wouldn't be here every Sunday. You're gaining something out of it. No one does something, no one does any, wake up Sunday morning and listens to me talking unless they were going to get some benefit. <laughs> something inside compels you to listen. Why? Because you're feeling some sort of peace and calm. First stage. The second stage, Samipya. You feel a little sense of peace and happiness after class for a few days and you think, you know what, I like that feeling. It's really good. Now you know there's a second stage. If you want to, if you want to continue with that feeling, what do you have to do? Anyone? What do you have to do? If you want to continue that feeling for longer, put in effort, morning study every day, thinking of the self throughout the day, being aware of it, you experience greater happiness and joy. Those two, three days gets extended for the week, longer. So it's in your hands. So you experience that and you think, wow, this is amazing. Wonder what the third stage is like. Sarupyam. The awareness of that self allows you to identify with it in all your experiences. You you see the reflection of the self, the spirit, all around you. Your friends, family, work, neighbors, good, bad people, saint or sinner, all beings, all creatures. You understand this is an expression of the higher in everything. Brahman, the self in all beings and creatures, you identify with that. Can you imagine the happiness you would gain if you're at that level? Nothing would faze you. No one would irritate you. Total bliss, total happiness. Third stage. So you can't feel, see, hear, touch the self. So therefore, you develop an awareness through knowledge and understanding. So the result is even deeper contentment 
and happiness in life. Now you're thinking, wow, that's the third stage. What's the fourth stage? So you, Jim, with continued efforts, you have now exhausted all your vastness, your, all your desires. Now able to concentrate. You meditate on the self. Om, Om, Om. You merge with the self. You become the self. Reach the fourth state. Absolute bliss of spiritual alignment, enlightenment. Highest experience of happiness. Means no agitations whatsoever. There's nothing in the world you want. Be totally content, peaceful, happy. That's the fourth state. So, which state do you want to get to? Is up to you. It's in your hands. So can you identify with that, first of all? Does at least the first stage, can people identify with the first stage at least? That you do feel a bit of peace and calm and happiness when you study this subject. Good. So that gives you an assurance that, that there are other levels that you can reach. And this is written by people who have reached that level. So you're, you're following their experiences. Next paragraph. Thus must you give your personality a lift to your real being. You will then lift the whole world, move to the central core of your personality. Become the axle around which the world revolves. Scores of sages have done that. The secret of their success is that they sought the truth within themselves. They did not rely on outside forces, nor attach themselves to any institution, to any mission. Buddha was not a Buddhist, nor Christ a Christian. Swami Rama Chitta relied on no mission, yet institutions and missions were built around their personalities. People who belong to institutions and missions raise dollars, put up buildings, buy up materi materiality. Such conquest has little to do with the spiritual growth. What's that saying? What's that paragraph saying? Anyone? person pursuing spirituality looking within is not interested in external material objects as such. They never ever pursue people have made them into religions and so forth. Saying you can do it. Thank you, David. you're right. You can do it. No one else can do it for you. You have to put in the effort. Spiritual establishments are useful if they guide you to reach that goal. But you do not need to rely on any external institutes to achieve this goal. 
You merely look, need to look within. Saying all the limited gods, Ram, Krishna, Shiva, Vishnu, are all supposed to inspire to you to reach that goal by learning from their lives and their teachings. But you have to do put in the effort. You have to apply them. Example, Christ was not a Christian. He didn't need to go to a church. There were no churches for Christian yet, Christians. Christian, Christianity wasn't even came about at that time. He didn't write the Bible. He wandered on his own and found the self on his own. Buddha did not start Buddhism. Neither was he a Buddhist. Swami Ramatita did not belong to any mission. Swami Tapavan wandered all alone in the Himalayas and reached the ultimate experience all on his own. Institutes were started after these people. So there's nothing wrong in belonging to these institutions, but he's saying it's not necessary for your spiritual growth. like-minded people having a debate, satsang, it's useful. You're, you know, um, talking about intellectual studies of the higher. You're um, testing your knowledge. You're exchanging ideas. It's useful. It's saying it's not necessary. You can do it with your own efforts. Any clarification, Stephanie? So there's given examples of people who, who did that without need of anybody. Saying institutions raise dollars. We're not saying all of them. Yeah. Institutions raise dollars, put up buildings by materiality. It has very little to do with spiritual growth. Building a new church, new mosque, new temple. How much are you going to donate? I'm not saying it's wrong to donate. You have, four, you have four temples already. Why do we need a fifth within the five mile radius? I don't know. <laughs> Will it get me closer to the self if there's a fifth one? Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> if you don't have to walk so far. I'm just putting it out there. So we have to think about it logically. This is the point we're saying. Reflect for a moment, who forms congregations, associations and institutes? Who meet in large numbers, 
form great assemblies, not stewards, not the real masters of the world. No spiritual colossus lives in numbers. He does not find the need for an association or mission. He lives alone, all by himself. Only weaklings gather crowds around him. Just mark the animal kingdom. Sheep and deer move in herds. Sparrows and pigeons flock in numbers. But a lion moves majestically all alone. An eagle soars in the sky all alone. Yet a single lion or an eagle can put to flight the congregations. Such is the might and power of yourself. Gain that inner strength. Move to the core of your personality. Get to the fourth state of self-realization. You become the king of kings, god of gods. There's only the weak needs to gather in groups. The strong are the ones that are able to pursue the goal on their own. See, you've, you hear about these great saints. They're sitting in a cave all on, the, all on their own. There's no one around them. People want to be near them, but they don't need anyone. You read the stories of the, uh, the self-realized souls, these great swamis and saints. They're on their own. Christ, Buddha, great swamis, all self-realized souls did not need anyone to get to the fourth state. They did it on their own. Flock of sheep. One, it only takes one lion and all the sheep scatter. This is the power. No one confronts the lion. They all run away and hide, don't they, the sheep? So he's saying you have to develop that strength within yourself. You're, you can take on the world. King of kings. So you develop your intellect. Take control of your life. Shift your focus from the world to within. You might say it's so hard. It is hard. But if you think about it, it's made so easy for us. Everything is there for you written in the scriptures. Written by people who have walked that path and reached that goal. You just need to follow their instructions. You know, these books get rich quick. We try and follow these instructions so we can try and get rich quick. <laughs> Similarly, these instructions are given in the Bhagavad Gita. Get to the self quick. Follow the instructions. Are you laughing? Sorry, she's in bits. It's all written there for you, instructions. Never mind. We got, we're in this class. We're all exchanging ideas. We're discussing like-minded people what the scriptures are saying. So we got even more help. Got someone explaining it to you. So there's no excuse. We haven't had it simpler, this is what it means. Only thing lacking is our own efforts.
Yeah, Dennis. So, well, my understanding is if someone's found bliss, yeah, mm. and then he sets up a temple, teachings, and wealth. Sorry, can you hit that bit? So, if someone's found bliss, yeah, like a teacher, yeah, and then he goes backwards by opening up a school, opening up a temple, opening up stuff, does that mean he's going back negatively? Is he going back negatively? Yeah, it's, difficult to, it diffi it's difficult to say what level he's at of bliss. He may have experienced the first level and thought, let me share this with everyone so that everyone can feel that happiness. Everyone can learn from what I have learned. There's nothing wrong with that. You're doing karma. You're doing service, sacrifice for your community. So there's nothing wrong with that. I have one question then. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Person who wrote this book, has he found bliss or has he just on his first or second level? That's something only he can answer. Okay. That's something he can answer, we can't answer. What level of bliss you're facing, you're, you're experiencing only you can answer. Depends on how much desires you have. Okay. It's a, yeah. it's a personal journey. This is huh? Just reading into the biograph and the book, author. Yeah. So everyone has to judge themselves where they are. Because it all is dependent on your desires. As Neelam said, you're more peaceful and happy, less agitated. Why? Because the desires either are fulfilled or you've eradicated them. Unfulfilled desires causes agitations. Fulfilled desires gives you happiness and calm and peace. So how many desires do you have? We don't know. Is everyone okay with that? Yeah. Someone can read the Bhagavad Gita, Every 702 slokas from heart. But it's not spiritual at all. It's what's within that matters. They may be able to read it, but doesn't mean they understand it. Doesn't mean they're following it. Is that okay, Ramesh? So you need to go to the core of your personality, beyond the body, mind, intellect, and reach the fourth state, self-realization. You then attain the goal of a human being, your godhood. Any other questions on that topic? before we begin the next topic. That's why sometimes uh, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> when you're in ignorance, you don't any better. <laughs> so you're, you stay in that zone, 
the minute you get some knowledge about further happiness and peace, the mind says, I want that. <laughs> and it all starts. The turmoil starts. Agitation starts. Sometimes we have these um, uh, YPO events, Young Presidents' Organizations in the ashram every February. People from all over the world, mainly non-Indians, first time they ever come to India, they come to the ashram, there's about 40 or 50 of them, pay a lot of money by the way, I think they pay about $5,000 for the five days experience in the ashram. And we, they go through, they wear the clothes and you know, they, go, they have special seminars for them and, you know, business related and so on. And then after they finish, they go back and one of them wrote a letter that I have all the money, I have all the happiness, large mansion, everything. I was really happy until I met you. Meaning the Swami. <laughs> because he didn't, he then realized that his happiness wasn't real. <laughs> So he had everything he thought. So this is the kind of effect it has, this subject. Just when you thought everything was fine, you've reached all your goals in life. Then up comes along someone and says, hang on, this is all Maya, this is all an illusion. What are you talking about? This is all conditioned. <laughs> Everything's turned upside down. So we'll start the next topic, path of reality. Any questions before we continue? Yeah, Deepa. So, um, my question is, is the fourth state parallel to the other three states? Is it parallel to the other three states? Yeah. No. So it runs on its, as a, um, so I, yeah, I get maybe the, the waking world, the dream world, the deep sleep world. But when you get to the fourth state, you don't automatically drop the other three. No. You, you don't drop it. You're still in it. But where before you were involved and you knew, you didn't realize that there was a fourth state. Now you understand that this is Maya, this is an illusion. Just like the dreamer thinks this dream state is real. When he wake, only when he or she wakes up, realizes it's an illusion. But he still goes through that dream state every night. Mm -hmm. Only when he wakes up, he realizes it's an illusion. Similarly, you will still go through the conditioned states of consciousness when you reach the fourth state. But you're now aware that these are conditioned states. They're all a dream. So nothing affects you. So I can't say they're in parallel because that doesn't sort of describe it, but it's an unconditioned state, just like the waker is an unconditioned state compared to the dreamer. It's, it's something, it's difficult to explain, so you have to think about it. So you still run the three states but with the fourth state in your conscious mind you have that realization that understanding that until my vastness are eliminated 
I will still have to carry on with this until I die. Okay. Because I think someone asked a question last week, I think Dharmesh did, when you reach the fourth state, is it over? No, it's not, because there are still some vasanas pertaining from the past which haven't been exhausted. You may get no new vasanas, no new desires, but the ones that you're, which, which are still there, they need to be exhausted. You exhaust them. But they're not going to be vasanas like, oh, I need to buy a new mansion, or I need to buy a, <laughs> go on holiday. They won't be vasanas like that. <laughs> you might just be sitting in the room every day and meditating. <laughs> you, you with me, Deepa? Because you know it's, this is all surreal. It's gonna all unreal. But you'll still be going through the three states of consciousness. Is that okay? Yes, thank you. Okay. Any other clarifications? Okay, I think. Am I frozen? Or can everyone hear? One moment, I'm having some problems. Can everyone hear me? Okay. Yeah, I think now. Yeah, I think I was frozen for a second there. Okay, great. Megna, I think you're reading next. Yeah, thank you. Path of reality. Vedanta leads you to your original state of being, the fourth state of God consciousness the state of the absolute reality. You attain that state by exhausting your desires, vasanas. As long as you possess vasanas, you are caught up in the limited worlds of the waking, dream, and deep sleep. With the eradication of vasanas, you regain God consciousness. A human minus vasanas equals God. So, vasanas, your desires keep you attached to the world. Stops you from thinking about the fourth state. So, what do you have to do? Reduce them. Only when you reduce your desires, you're able to withdraw from the world, even partially, and think of the higher. It's the only way. See, what, because if your mind is in the world, when do you get a chance to think of the higher? When do you get a chance to think of not the world? Because it's completely immersed in the world all the time. What, what, what takes you into the world? Your desires. I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to buy this. I want to buy that. I want to get married. I want to have children. I want them to grow up. I want them to go to school. All, I'm not saying they're wrong. Yeah. But these are all desires that keeps you in the world. So the only way to get out of the world is to reduce them. When you reduce them, then you're able to think of something else. So you think about it. Christ means God. Why? Christ. God. Why? 
Any idea? Any idea? Christ means God. No desires. Christ has no desires. God plus desires equals human. There's no difference between us and him. The only difference between ourselves and Christ is we have desires, he has none. Logically thinking, that's true, isn't it? But ignorant people believe there's something special. People who don't understand. If you break it down logically like this, there is no difference. So Vedanta helps you reach that fourth state. It helps in reducing and removing your desires. Because if that's the barrier between you and Christ, you and God, you and Krishna, then we need to remove them. We need to reduce them. This is how we get to the next level, the fourth state. The next level of happiness, from level one to level two. As long as you have desires, vasanas, you'll be caught up in the three states of conditioned consciousness. God plus vasanas equals human. Human minus vasanas, desires equals God. So it's quite simple, isn't it? Reduce our desires. Anyone agree, disagree? Um, I, I think also the other thing is, uh, like with, from what I know, maybe my lack of understanding and knowledge, but, uh, the other thing is how giving, um, like Jesus Christ was like selflessly. So you can, I guess you can be, uh, a person without desires, but the other side of it is then selflessly giving. And that's when the difference, there's a slight difference in that aspect, I think. Personally, anyway. Absolutely right, which is what we're going to getting. Uh, the next topic is on that. But you're absolutely right. See, you think about it. When you give, why? What are you? What are you doing when you give? You give someone else. You give something. Someone. Some charity. You give. You help. Go and help people. What? What are you doing? Yeah, Damish. You're removing your desire. You're not thinking of yourself. Yeah. So therefore, you're being unselfish. So you're automatically reducing your desire when you're thinking of someone else. You're not being selfish. You're not increasing your desires. Is that, does that make sense? So that is one way of reducing your desires, which we're going to study. Um, actually, next class, we're going to study the three yogas. But you're absolutely right. So now we're going to talk about how to reduce our desires. Megna. Vasanas manifest as desires and tarnish your personality. 
Your Godhead, the Supreme Self within, is encrusted with the impurity of desires. In truth, you have not lost your divinity. You can never lose it. Divinity only remains covered by impurity. Like a brass pot is tarnished when exposed to the outer atmosphere. A pot remains bright, brilliant if preserved and polished. The difference between a saint and a sinner is the difference between the bright and tarnished pots. The surface of the tarnished pot is oxidized, which is a coating of impurity. It turns dark black. The impurity, however, can be removed. The pot needs polishing. Apply any polishing material, like brasso. Rub it all over the surface until the impurity is removed. Wipe it clean. Finish it with a polishing cloth. The pot regains its original luster. Luster and its inherent nature. Not something obtained from elsewhere. The brasso has only removed the impurity. So it's, a, it's given an example of a brass pot. You need to polish it. Its original state is a shine, a glow of copper. But because it's been oxidized, it's been out in, out, out in the sun or out in the atmosphere, it becomes dark. Similarly, it's saying the self within you, the true personality is not lost. It's just covered with your vastness. Those are the impurities, just like the oxidation is the impurities on the pot. These impurities are your vastness, your desires. These are the impurities covering the self. So just remove it and you have gained your true self. How do you remove the impurities on the copper pot? It's saying apply something to it, like brasso which is liquid, which if you rub it in, it takes, off, takes away the oxidation, takes away the impurities, and you're left with a nice shiny brass pot. Similarly, we have to apply something to remove our impurities, which is our desires, our vastness. And then what are we left with? The true self, our true personality which is our natural state. Villa, make sense? That is our natural state. So we have to remove our impurities. So how do we remove that impurities? Please, make now. Um, improve your intellect. Improve your intellect and then? Remove your desires. Remove your desires. So, absolutely right. You need an intellect to even realize that you need to do this. But then it tells us how to do it. Just how, you know, on Brasso, yeah, it has an instruction at the back. Take a clean cough. Apply a bit of Brasso. Rub it over the pot. Once it's covered everywhere and you've rubbed it properly, take another clean cloth. Take off the residue and polish. And you're left with a copper 
pot, shiny copper pot. Similarly, we have been given instructions of how to remove our desires. Meghna. Similarly, the divinity is obscured in, the peop in people by their vasanas, desires. Vedanta provides the brasso technique, removes the incrustation of desires. The technique comprises the three main disciplines of Goma, Bhakti, and Jnana Yogas, the paths of action, devotion, and knowledge. Apply this technique regularly until the desires drop off. When the desires are reduced considerably, you develop mental concentration. With the growth of concentration, you could practice meditation. And through sustained meditation, the last trace of vasana, the desire for self-realization vanishes. What remains is yourself. The self unfolds itself. You become the self. Attain spiritual enlightenment. Thank you. So this is the instructions that we need to follow, just as on the can of Brasso, it tells you the instructions how to clean the pot to bring its luster back, its original state. Remember, the original state of the pot is shiny. Vasanas manifest its desires and cover the self within. The self is in all. Do you remember that diagram? is a circle with the self in the middle, and then it's got outer layers of circles. And it says, vasnas, thoughts, body, mind, intellect, thoughts, desires. This is what it's talking about. So we need to remove those outer layers by practicing the three yogas. The three yogas is the instructions given to us to remove that impurity of desires. Why three yogas? Anyone? Yeah, Igna. Is it for each for your mind, body, and intellect? We have three equipments covering the vasanas. We have the body, the mind, and the intellect. So hence, three yogas given for each one of them. You have three equipments. Vedanta merely provides the knowledge to remove the desires, hence exposing the divinity within. So what are the three yogas? Anyone? What are the three yogas? Yeah, Meghna. Karma, Bhakti, Jnana. Karma yoga, the path of action the body. Bhakti yoga, the path of devotion for the mind. Remember the mind is emotions. Jnana yoga, the path of knowledge for the intellect. This is what we're doing. We're doing, we're on the path of knowledge in these classes. So if you practice and apply these three techniques, then the result is that the desires start reducing. Once your desires are reduced, eliminated, you are then able to concentrate, meditate, 
And then through meditation, you eliminate the last desire. The desire to experience the self, to become one with it. You become spiritually enlightened. Simple. Can't be clearer than that. Free equipment, free yogas, follow that. Desires reduced. You can concentrate because your mind is no longer going into the world. You have no desires to the world. Then you meditate, concentrate. The last desire to reach that state. And there you go. Now you all know. No excuses. Any questions? Just nine. So you've got your inherent nature, which is your inherent desires. Yeah. Then how do you know the difference between you having to exhaust those, taking up different ones, and then you suppressing those that you can't really suppress? So it's like three different things. We're not suppressing anything. We're eliminating them either through exhausting them. Yeah. Yeah or through knowledge and understanding. Okay. And how do we do that? By taking up a higher desire. Okay. You're taking a higher desire to reach a higher state. So that desire is no longer, doesn't have the energy anymore to be fulfilled. So you're not suppressing it. You're taking up something higher. See, you, want, you have a desire right now for ice cream. You want to go to Hagen das for a scoop of ice cream. You go on the scale this morning and it says you're a couple of kilos overweight. Now, which is the higher desire to become fit or the ice cream? That's something you have to decide. If you decide that you want to become fit and lose a couple of kilos, and that's a higher desire than having an ice cream. So automatically that desire goes away. Because you have a higher desire for health. Does that make sense? So you're not, you're not suppressing that desire for ice cream. You understand that's not going to help me get, reach my goal. Similarly, you have a higher desire to become more happier. You realize now... Desires are never going to stop. They're just going to agitate me. Who knows where the mind will take me, what it'll want next. I'm not going to listen to it. How are you suppressing it? Desire fades away. The more you think about a desire, the more fuel it give, you give it. Yeah? You're thinking of ice cream. Your daughter says, yes, I want an ice cream. Your son says, yeah, I want ice cream. Yeah, come on, let's go. You're giving the desire more fuel. And then you have to exhaust, then you have to go and experience it. But if they all say, hey, did you remember on the scale this morning, you're a few kilos over. Do you really think you should be having an ice cream? You think, yeah, they're right. <laughs> you with me? So you're not suppressing it. Is that okay? So the highest goal you've now decided is you want to reduce your desires and reach the fourth state. Will you tell me if that goal is so strong for you? 
Can any desire stand in its way? And some desires you'll have to uh, experience because they're too strong. As you said, it's your inherent nature. So some, some desires you have to ex um, experience and exhaust. And the weaker ones you can eliminate through knowledge. Is that okay, Dushan? Don't suppress, never suppress. It'll come up in another way. Any other questions? Did everyone understand that, what Joshnabin was asking? Yeah. She said, you have an inherent nature. Do you suppress that? No, you don't. You take it to a higher level. Am I right, Joshnabin? Yeah, okay. So um, it takes us to this poem, The Daffodils. This uh, poem by William Wordsworth. William Wordsworth and his wife were visiting Ullswater in the Lake District in 1802. And he had an experience. So this poem, you first of all understand, this poem was not written to represent anything spiritual. That wasn't the idea when he wrote the poem. Yeah, he's a poet. But his experience on seeing the daffodils, what he, which he saw, and the way he portrays it in his poem, you can translate it to a spiritual experience, which Swamiji has done. There's a book called English Poems. So he's taken English poems, and he's translated and taken some spirituality, some philosophy from these poems. His poems may not have been written in, for, for that purpose, but this is interpretation, which helps us. So in the poem, The Daffodils, the disciplines of the three yogas are described. So we're going to quickly read it, and I'm just going to point out the lines that represents the three yogas. Yeah? You can read it if you want more and um you know if you if you like reading poems you can look further into it and it's up to you but we're just gonna read it and just uh, talk about it briefly since it's in the book is that okay okay the poem translates the three yogas bhakti karma and jnani and meditation which lead one to self-realization. I'll read the poem. The Daffodils. I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high o'er vales and hills when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils. Beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. Continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way. They stretched in never-ending line along the margin of a bay. 
10,000 saw I at a glance, tossing their heads in sprightly dance. The waves beside them dance, but they outdid the sparkling waves in glee. A poet could not but be gay in such a jocund company. I gazed and gazed, but little thought what wealth the show to me had brought. For oft, when on my couch I lie, in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye, which is the bliss of solitude. And when my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. So this poem, if we um, look deeper into it, we can decipher that it can relate to the three yogas and self-realization. Megna, do you want to read? The first line of the poem suggests Karma Yoga, the spiritual path of action. It is selfless action performed in a spirit of detachment. The word wandered signifies a sense of detachment. A wanderer moves about with no particular place or person to return to and lonely confirms that he is not attached to anybody. He relates to the world with a true spirit of renunciation. While the comparison to a, to a cloud reve reveals his dedication to service and sacrifice. A cloud symbolizes the extremity of service and sacrifice. The cloud gives rain, produce, prosperity. The extremity of service is not just giving all that one possesses, but giving oneself away. That is what a cloud does. In providing rain, a cloud gives all that it has and gives itself away. That is the caliber of service rendered by one who practices Garma Yoga. So saying Karma Yoga is represented by the line, by line, I Eventually, the cloud gives itself away. High or veils and hills represent what goes on in life, good or bad, the pairs of opposites. So if you're flying above mountains, you're not, you're not affected by the mountains. You're driving by car over the mountains, then you're affected. You know, holes in the ground and everything, you're affected. Similarly, if you're flying high over the mountains, you're not affected. When you serve selflessly in a spirit of detachment, the love, devotion within, bhakti yoga. This is represented by the comma after the word host. When he saw the daffodils, he was taken back with a feeling of oneness with everything, 
a sense of universal love struck him. Like I said, this poem is something you really need to read, think about, and then you'll get it. You know, I won't do it justice in the few minutes that we're spending on it. Can everyone hear me? You're freezing again. My freezing? Yeah. You're okay Hello? now. Okay, okay. As I was saying, you have to read this poem, take your time, think about each line. That's how you'll benefit from um, understanding this poem. And you'll get that, wow. This is amazing, what he's written. You will be able to feel a sense of what he's trying to, what he experienced, what William Wordsworth experienced. But that's something you have to put in effort to understand. Megma. A person who does selfless service to the community rises above the influence of the pairs of opposites he encounters. He remains peaceful and happy, unaffected by fortune or misfortune, joy or sorrow, honour or dishonour, and the continuous fluctuations in the external world. This idea is well portrayed in the second line that floats on higher over hills, over vales and hills. Karen, please. A feeling of ecstasy comes to him as a result of his selfless, dedicated service. The result is not sought after. The experience of jubilance, the flood of all-embracing love, takes, his, takes him unawares at the sight of the golden daffodils. This is highlighted by placing a comma after the word host. The pause indicates that unexpected experience. The subsequent lines describe the, that exuberance, his intoxication of pure love for nature. He remains enraptured, enraptured by the objects and beings of the world. That universal feeling of oneness specifies the path of devotion, bhakti. Garma, selfless action, and bhakti, devotion, purifies the mind. When the mind is pure, the intellect is poised to reflect and contemplate upon the higher truths of life. Hence, he gazed and gazed. With that, the poet deftly introduces the third discipline of jnana yoga, the path of knowledge. So, gazed and gazed represents jnana yoga. So the first two Few, first few paragraphs represented karma yoga, like the cloud, and bhakti yoga, that devotion. Remember we said you reach that second stage of happiness when you identify with the self in every being. So he identified with all nature, that divinity that manifests in all nature. He got that experience from looking at the daffodils. That experience transported his thoughts on the higher and his mind for that moment was empty of desires within the world. He remained in deep thought, meditative of the reality. This helped him understand the world for what it was and it opened the inward eye representing knowledge and wisdom. 
This allowed him to see everything as one, yet identified with all beings in the world, represented by the lines, dances with the daffodils. He became that oneness. So this poem can be translated into following the spiritual path, practicing the three yogas, and eventually you'll be dancing with the daffodils, ultimate experience of enlightenment. Megna. The ultimate practice of meditation, culminating in spiritual enlightenment, is evidenced in the last stanza. In meditation, the mind is vacant of worldly thoughts while it is pensive in deep thought of reality. That practice opens up the inward eye, gives the insight of the Supreme Self within, referred to in the, in the Shastra scripture as the opening of the Jnana Shaksu, the eye of wisdom. He becomes one with all, dances with the daffodils, the individual merges with the all-pervading reality. So that's the poem, the daffodils. It's very famous poems, by the way. You can Google it. So this is the end of this chapter. The next chapter, chapter 12, discusses the three yogas in more detail. So now you, hopefully, after this chapter, come to the conclusion that we're all stuck in this conditioned consciousness, we have to get to the fourth state. How do we get there? We have to practice the three yogas, which is karma, bhakti, and jnana. Jnana, which is what we're doing. So now the next chapter explains the three yogas in more detail so that you can practice them. How to do karma? What's the right way of doing karma? Someone knocks on your door, charity. They want money, you give them money. That isn't karma. What is the right way of doing karma? What is the right way of devotion? What should devotion be? The true sense of devotion. What sort of knowledge should you get? What is real knowledge? So this is the kind of things we'll be talking about in the because it's easier to say practice the free yogas, but what are the free yogas? How do I do it? So that's explained in the next chapter. Any questions? Well, if there are any, we'll take them off on Wednesday. Won't be cancelling this Wednesday, don't worry. I know there's a few disappointed people, so I apologize for that. Um, so we may be doing another class on Tuesday. Uh, it's not concrete yet, but I've been invited to give another further chat on Tuesday to the Fulton Hindu Council. Um, last, last Tuesday, if anyone heard, was an introduction to this subject, which some of you may have not um, heard before. Um, but um, so that was an introduction, and now we, I may, I'm still thinking about it, I may take up a few of the verses from the Bajagavindam on Tuesday. But I will share the link with you all um, before. So if any of you want to listen up in the day, in the evening, you can. And um, 
we'll probably try and put a recording out of that as well if you want. Yeah. I mean, we may not because the introduction was definitely necessary, but if I do Bajagundam, then we already have the recordings from that. Yeah. Okay, any last minute, last clarifications or anything? Nilam, you okay? Good. So, Shri? Okay, wonderful. Dharmesh, any questions? No, I don't, but my apologies or not attending the other classes now because I'm back to work. Okay. What, I mean, Sundays I'm, or Wednesdays? The Wednesday and maybe even the Tuesday one. Any what time? Always. So you catch up on the podcast. The main one Sundays, by the way, yeah? Uh, Sunday's not proper. I don't work Sundays, so it's cool. That's fine. Because I don't know what we'll do without you here. <laughs> I mean it in a, in, a, in a proper way, not sarcastically, because you ask great questions. So. Helping everyone, so we need your presence on Sundays for sure. The other two, don't worry about. Any other clarifications? Great. So, how do we do it next Sunday? We discover the free yogas in more detail. Great. Have a great Sunday. Thank you for joining Thank us you. today.